be seated. Man, what a great morning of worship already. This morning, as you have your Bible, my name is Mike Daniels. We're going to be opening to Jonah chapter 2 this morning. In fact, we're going to finish off chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 17. But I'm one of the pastors here. We welcome those who have joined us online this morning. And this very hour, one week ago, if you remember, I shared a story. Many of you had watched that story that had gripped our nation where we watched and waited for God to save 12 young soccer-playing boys and their 25-year-old coach. And uh, these guys had found themselves trapped in a maze of a cave two and a half miles in and a half a mile deep. And they had gone exploring, you know the story perhaps, Uh, they had gone exploring and the summer's rains came, a torrential monsoon came in and trapped them in with the rains pouring into the The tunnels there, they were lost, alone, without the ability to contact anyone, and there was little to no hope unless someone came. The boys, hopelessly lost in this cave, were looking for an escape. And the only way they could escape this tunnel that was filling up with water was to go further and further in. The only way they could escape is to go deeper and deeper, descending into the cave and higher and higher until eventually they came. And the story has unfolded as we see it now. They found a small, damp, muddy ledge that was surrounded by this complete darkness all around them, swirling cauldron of water, muddy, murky, underground cave water, and that was their home for the next 10 or 11 days. Can you imagine having a mud floor, mud walls all around you, thousands of flying somethings, bats in the darkness, and the world was left to wonder, what was it like you and I wondered, what was it like in that cave? Is there panic setting, is, or setting in? Are the kids okay? And even today, we still don't have all the details. In fact, psychologists have been brought in. All the children have been brought out safely. And it was a, it was a great thing to watch over the last couple of days of how the world descended on that place. But psychologists have encouraged those boys and even those individuals who were in that cave not to share publicly until the tragedy and the trauma has passed. And I can only imagine that with many of these international things that have come out in a great storybook end that there will be a book written and there will be a movie made of this incident and the rescue efforts but we still only have, even to this day, sketchy details of what it was like in that cave. For 10 days, they watched and waited and waited alone and isolated. In fact, us on the outside, we knew that there was massive recovery efforts going on, that all of the known world was sending resources. We knew that there were workers and there were pumps. We knew that there was a little mini submarine being made in California. We knew that British divers were on the scene. The most world-renowned cave divers in the world were there searching and waiting. But think about in that cave, what was it like? as their hunger pains gave way to grave thoughts of eventual and impending starvation. As death certainly was around the corner, it crept into their minds as the darkness shrouded them. 
in what would become their final resting place, this muddy ledge with mud walls and things flying overhead, a grave that had not been prepared but soon would be used. Don't you think in the midst of that cave, as we looked at it just one week ago, don't you think in the midst of that cave there were cries for a rescuer? A man, any man, a woman, any woman, uh, a God, any God. While we don't have a complete picture of the Thailand rescue, we do have the story of Jonah this morning. Similar circumstances in many ways. This prophet that we're looking at over the next couple of weeks as we've started July and just taking the book of Jonah, we're walking through this and looking and seeing this rebellious prophet that God pursued even in the midst of his disobedience. If you have your Bibles, turn to Jonah. It's toward the end of the Old Testament. Go to Matthew, take a left. It's about eight books in. Tucked in between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Michelangelo or Obadiah and Micah. Seems like Star Wars characters, these little uh, prophets back at the back of the Old Testament. There will be no more than three pages of text in your Bible. Some of your Bibles will only have two pages. 48 verses is what we're looking at over these weeks. Jonah was called by God as we've seen over the last couple of weeks. He was called of God to share the good news of a saving God to a hostile enemy city called Nineveh. Jonah hated Nineveh. He didn't want any part of this plan. He hated God's plan. This is a people that were known to be cruel and, and cause suffering for Jonah's people, the, the Jews, the Israelites. And Jonah, in a full act, an act of full rebellion, told God, no. I'm not going to do your plan. I'm not taking my skills. I'm not taking my abilities. I'm not taking my spiritual intellect to that pagan nation Instead, he went on his own way. He went down and found a ship headed to a pagan city 1,500 miles from the very presence of where God was and where God wanted him. And he began to go headlong into a disaster of his own making. Jonah, we see in chapter 1, verses 4, we see that he was disobedient. We see that the cause of God's wrath upon this little ship that he finds himself in is because he was trying to escape God's path. And the Bible says the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners, the Bible says, the mariners, the, the sailors, the hardened men who had been on the sea, they were afraid. After a brief Q&A, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, after a brief Q&A, the sailors determined that the cause of the storm was because of Jonah's disobedience. And the sailors picked Jonah up and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. The sailors were saved. The storm ceased and became calm. And Jonah sank like a Chevy pickup like a rock. When you look at this story, that's where we pick up this morning. That's just precursor to what the story is this morning. That's where we're coming from and that's where we've been. If you have your Bibles, we're going to begin in Jonah chapter 1 verse 17. We're going to read all the way through chapter 2 verse 7. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Verse 17 says this, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. 
And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I, Jonah, Jonah said, I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed over me like closed over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my heads. At the root of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you, yet you, God, brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Verse 7. Then when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Would you pray with me? Father, would you teach us now? Would you use the pages of the scriptures? Would you use your word simply to birth out in us a new surrender? A way that we say, great is our God and I will turn everything that is my own will off and I would turn your will on that I would run hard towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, you may have walked in this room today and feel like your life is sunk, that your rock is falling faster and faster and you can't stop it. Perhaps your marriage is in trouble, your kids are rebelling, your health is fading, your parents are aging, your grades are falling, and your career is unrewarding. Your belly is growing, your hair is graying, and your skin is sagging, your confidence is plummeting, and oh, when you look at your bottom line, your debt is rising. When we find ourselves sinking like a rock, when we find ourselves at the end of our rope alone, isolated, and hopeless, there's one thing I want us to know this morning, and it is this. We must remember that grace abounds and God rescues Three things I want you to do in the face of your storm, in the face when you are hitting rock bottom, first thing I want you to do is recognize the rescuer. Verse 17, Jonah has been thrown overboard and he is headed to his watery grave and this is what happens. And the Lord appointed, he sent, he appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So let's get to the obvious this morning. We finally got into the fish, okay? You think about Jonah, we're three weeks in, we finally get to the fish. But when you look at the fish, you realize this is a miraculous fish, okay? Let's get to the obvious. This is a miracle. God shows his sovereignty here and he says, hey, listen, this is a miraculous fish that I appointed to come at this moment, at this time. You see, when you see this, you see this all-powerful God who is over all. Verse one, uh, or chapter one, verse nine says, it is this God, the God of the Hebrews, who made the sea and the land, the dry land, in fact. When you see this, people sometimes in our world, we try to over-explain miracles in the Bible. Sometimes we have this idea that if, if God did it, then we need to find some natural way for it to fit in the context of our minds. Think of Daniel and the lion's den. Well, instead of God closing the mouth of the lions, which is very understand, you know, it's very easy to understand. God just 
Close the mouth of the lions. We try to say, well, the lions weren't hungry. Or perhaps, you know, Daniel had enough BO that the lion was repulsed and didn't want any part. Perhaps you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, these young men were, were put into a fiery furnace because they would not worship the king's golden idol. And in fact, the Bible says that they, they stoked the fire to seven times its normal heat. For me, I just think God did it, but here's what happens. Daniel chapter three says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked out of the fire, not a scorch mark on their clothes, not even the smell of fire on them. Why? Was this a coincidence? No, this was a miracle. This was God who did something extraordinary that you and I cannot do. What about Moses parting the Red Sea? We can explain it away if you get somebody real smart with scientific evidence and they would say, well, the winds blew and if they blew in the correct direction for the long enough period of time and blew hard enough, then perhaps the water would be evaporated, dispersed, or diverted. You know, it's a whole lot easier for me that believes in a God of miracles simply to say, no, God parted the sea. In fact, that's what the Bible says in Exodus 14, 21. It says this, the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided. And then dot, 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 a little bit later, and Israel was saved. You see, these miracles in the Bible are always taking us somewhere. It's always showing us who is God and who is the rescuer. So this morning, I want to encourage you folks this morning, don't be afraid of miracles in the Bible. Don't be afraid that God does miraculous things. In fact, our Christian faith is built on miracles. God created something out of nothing. He flung the stars into existence. The wind and the waves obey him. God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to earth. He was born of a virgin. Miracle. He lived a sinless life. He died a cruel death and he rose from the grave. We believe in miracles this morning. In fact, the Christian faith lays its foundation on God doing things that we cannot in and of ourselves do. You see, this is, this is the real deal. This is not a dream. It is a miracle of the hand of an almighty God as we see this story. This is not some prehistoric swimming dinosaur that was kept alive by the Mediterranean warm currents. Verse 17 says, and the Lord... The Lord, the God who made the sea and the oceans and the winds, he appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This was a big fish. And Jonah finds himself in it. And it is dark and it is damp. It is smelly. It is squishy. There are literal fish guts all around. Why? Because he's in the gut of a fish. When you look at this, it probably smelled like an outhouse at the state fair. Not good. Terrible, in fact. He's sitting here and he's asking the question, where am I? In fact, why did God use a big fish? When we ask these questions about the story, it's good to come back to the Bible and say, why did God use a big fish? Why was it necessary? In fact, the ship was not far from land. In fact, they were trying to row back to land when the storm hit. Why didn't they just use a, a piece? Why didn't God just use a piece of floating wreckage or perhaps some cargo that they had heaved over the side? Why not a floating beer keg or, or a food crate that was just kind of wandering by? What about another ship passing by? Why couldn't they have just had another ship pass by? God, why a big fish? 
Because when we see the miraculous that only God can do, it shows us that God is in control of all things in all manner, in all circumstances, that everything is subject to his hand. So it, if God has the sea, and God has the wind and the waves and the rain, and if God has the storms, then God has you and he has me this morning. The fish was used to teach Jonah and us this morning that God's love is active regardless of whatever hostile environment we find ourselves in this morning. God is in control. And when you find yourself rock bottom, I want you to encourage you to recognize who the rescuer is. It is the creator God, the one who flings the star into existence. It's the one that the wind and the waves, they listen to. It is a God who loves, pursues, and saves. The second thing I want you to see, I want you to see the rescuer. I also want you to reach out for the rescuer. I want you, in that time that you find yourself rock bottom, when you feel like it's not happening the way you think it ought to happen, to reach out. In fact, when Jonah was thrown overboard, look, look at this. When Jonah was thrown overboard, the sailors immediately experienced the sea becoming calm all around them. As soon as, as soon as they threw him overboard, the seas became calm. However, for Jonah, he went from one storm right to the next. Think about Jonah. He was in the fierce storm in the boat. The next time we see him, he is thrown overboard and now he is in a raging sea and he is sinking deep in his sin far from the peaceful shore. Then the next time we see him, he's in the belly of a smelly fish. None of these are calm, smooth sailing for Jonah. And the previous chapter we just read ends with him being in the belly of a fish three days and three nights. And what did Jonah do? He did exactly what you and I would do. He prayed. And it's interesting to see that even a prophet who is running the exact opposite direction of what God's will is for a life, he still will stop and say, hey, you know what? I don't have this all under control. God, would you intervene? And he prayed in the midst of this chaos. You see, Jonah knew something had changed. Something had changed. He had went from this wet darkness of this raging sea to less wet darkness in the belly of the fish. And we have this idea that Jonah may or may not have known where he was. In verse two, he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. In the midst of this moment where he's trying to figure out what this new darkness is, when I touch the sides, it does not feel like water. I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and he heard my voice. The word Sheol is a Hebrew word which means is another word for grave or pit or death. He thought he was dead. He probably thought, this, hey, this is dark and, and I may have known God, but this is not, if I'm dead and this is not walking streets of gold, this is not what I think of when I think of heaven and I have found my place in this and can you imagine he said, hell is squishy. It's not exactly what, it's not very hot. It's maybe a little damp and kind of humid, but it's not real hot. And then he, I can just imagine if he started looking around for some of his buddies that he knew would be there. Hey, my neighbor, my coworker, that guy, there's no, he's around here somewhere. Surely they didn't make it to heaven. And so when you look, he then probably wonders, man, hell stinks. What is this I found myself in? He says, the Bible says he is in the belly of Sheol, a place that is beyond human help. This is where Jonah is crying out to the Lord from. 
a dreaded place where his life seems to be over. And it's in those moments where you and I have come to the end of our ropes that we cry out to the Lord and God does his work in spite of us. Jonah feels that he has been banished from the living. His situation is dire and he cries out and reaches out to this God in the midst of what he perceives as this pit, this death, and God answered him, verse three, for you cast me into the deep. And he's talking to God because remember in verses one, in chapter one, we see that God hurled the storm. And many times it can be seen that God allows us to go through storms. In, case, in some cases, he even is the one who is the author of the storms to get our attention when we're fleeing from his very presence. This morning, verse three, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows pass over me. He is sinking. We see this picture of him sinking. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. He is in despair at this moment. And yet, even in the midst of this despairing moment, I will look again upon your holy temple. And the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me down further, bubbling down further and further and further into the sea. In fact, it gets to even the bottom. The weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots. I'm at the very bottom of this mountain in the depths of the sea. And it's a remarkable picture of lives that are far from the very presence of God when we run the exact opposite direction of God's will for our lives, when we seek to escape, we become quickly overwhelmed. We become quickly out of answers. We feel as if we're drowning. There is seaweed wrapped around our head. I often thought maybe it's like when we walk to a spider's web. And when you're walking through the woods and you hit that spider's web, you really don't know where it came from or where it is, except you know it's all over your face. You're flailing to try to get it off, and there's no, there's no idea of calmness at that moment. You just want it out of your face. You're stuck in its grip. The Bible goes on and says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He is sinking deep in, in this abyss and he realizes, hey, I can't, I have no control over my life right now. He goes farther and farther down. It's this picture of bars closing around me, a prisoner who has walked into his jail cell after sentencing and here's the clank of the metal bars. Doom and despair, hopeless and afraid. His life is for all intent and purposes over and there's somebody in this room that you feel that very same way. There is things pressing in, you don't know how to get out. You hear the bars behind you going clank. Remember, grace abounds and God rescues. Yet, look at verse uh, six, the last part there, yet you brought up my life from the pit. In the midst of those cell doors clanging, yet you, God, brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. In the midst of those deep, dark, cavernous moments, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple, into the very presence of God. The holy temple was the place where God himself dwelt. I sent up my prayers to this holy and magnificent rescuing God. And I have reached out to this rescuer. I have reached out to him in the midst of my weakness. I have prayed. He has heard 
And now he is answering. The third point I want you to see this morning is we rejoice in the rescue. See, when you're in the middle of the rescue, you rescue. You, you, you rejoice in that rescue. There, there's reports coming out of the cave that when those boys were coming out, all the, the folks were cheering and shouting for them. And the moms and dads, they rushed to the hospital ward just to see their son and celebrate the rescue. When we face, we come face to face with death and despair and depression and disobedience, we grow and we learn. Why? Because there's nowhere to go but up. Some of you this morning are feeling that, that dragging of the weight of your, your disobedience and your sins and just simply this, this life dragging you down. And I want you to see verse eight, which is a key verse. In fact, it's in the middle of the book. In fact, there's 24 verses before it, 23 verses after it. And Jonah says this, those who pay regard to vain idols. So now he is recognizing that God has, is saving him or in the process of saving him. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Now, as I studied this, I looked into the wording pay regard is this picture of an obedient, anxious dog. In fact, I have one. He's a black lab and anywhere my wife goes, that dog follows. It doesn't matter what's going, if she's going out in the woods, if she's going to do anything, that dog is there anxiously awaiting her, his master's call. So when you pay regard, and then the picture of this loyalty, this idea of steadfast love refers to God's compassionate grace. So reading it in light of that, when you come face to face, you realize that those who pay regard, when you have a blind loyalty to vain idols, you forsake God's compassionate love. Now, remember the sailors. Remember the sailors in the boat? They had multiple foreign gods. They had multiple, all manner of idols. Yet God's steadfast love was still for them. And think about Jonah himself. He was a Hebrew and felt that God's saving love was only for the Jews. In fact, he's like, hey, I don't want to go to Nineveh because I don't want them to have what I have. It's mine. It's for God's chosen people, the Israelites, for the Hebrews, for the Jews. And that's probably why he didn't want to go and share that love to the pagans. Jonah's quest to keep God for himself like you and I sometimes is an idol. Tim Keller said this, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God himself. And I ask you this morning all across this room, what about us? What are the idols that we have in our lives, whether it's we're chasing fame or wealth or ambition? For some of you younger folks in here, maybe you're chasing a video game level. Grades, accolades, honors. Maybe like me, you're chasing a beach body. I still got a long way to go. And social media likes. Man, if I just am creative in this social media post, I'm gonna see a bunch of likes come in and I wait for the likes to hit and I'm disappointed when those likes don't come. We value these things over spending 15 minutes alone in solitude with the rescuing, loving, saving God. Whatever idols we have, they keep us from fully embracing and experiencing God. A God that pursues, 
a God that loves, a God that is caring and compassionate and that hears at the very depths of the sea a never-ending, all-encompassing love that is steadfast when we turn our attention like a dog turns his attention to his master to vain idols. We miss out on the very love that God has for you and for I. And there's nothing more tragic in a life that is fully successful except that it went in the wrong direction. When I lived in Northwest Arkansas, periodically we would go to Kansas City. Kansas City was almost due north from Northwest Arkansas. We were headed to Kansas City. And we were making good time, I think the trip, I don't remember exactly, but we were making the trip. It was probably about a four hour drive. About three hours in, this was before cell phones or right at the beginning of cell phones. And, and we really weren't looking, paying attention to the cell phone maps because we didn't trust them back in the day. Uh, so we were headed to Kansas City, my wife and I and another couple, we were headed to Kansas City about three hours in. We said, hey, listen, we're gonna start seeing some, we're gonna start seeing some road signs too. Uh, Kansas City. We should start seeing them soon. So then a friend of mine pulled out her new fancy iPhone and she looked at the maps and said, pull the car over. So fortunately I wasn't driving. She pulled the car, we pulled the car over and we looked at the map again and we realized we had been driving three hours into a four hour trip and we were still three hours away. You see, we were headed real fast. We were making great time to St. Louis. It's a tragedy to know that sometimes we are going so fast and making good time but headed in the wrong direction. The question for you is this. Are you chasing godless dreams that are taking you and winning and is taking you in the wrong place? I ask a question of myself very often is this. If you end up where you're headed, where will you be? If you end up where you're headed this morning, where will you be? Will you have a salary that is met but relationships that are lost? Will you have a promotion that is secured, but a child that has for all intent and purposes been abandoned? Academics and athletics have been conquered, but your church has been overshadowed and minimized. Perhaps your life will be social media worthy, but God has become an afterthought. And your time alone with God is simply one more thing in a fleeting list of idols that vie for your attention. This morning, as we look at Jonah's life, he is going nowhere fast and he recognizes this rescuing God and he remembers what God has done for him even in the depths of his seas. But then he says, hey, listen, hey, let us not pursue vain idols. Robert Browning 19th century poet. He wrote a hideous story about a mother who was sledding over a snowy mountaintop. She was going somewhere fast. She had goals to pursue. She was making her way, making good time, in fact. She had her sled loaded down. She had her dogs in front. They were pulling her over the, over the mountaintop. And all of a sudden, her journey was slowed by ravenous wolves. And Browning the poet tells us these ravenous wolves were trying to stop her sled, stop her progression. And her solution to the problem facing her was simply to do this, eliminate the distraction. So in an effort to satisfy the wolves and eliminate the distraction, she flings her infant children one at a time off of the sled to satisfy the wolves. 
You see, this woman was going somewhere, but tragically, she was going in the wrong direction. This morning, when you turn to idols, you forfeit the grace, your steadfast love, this all-consuming love of a God who is a rescuer. When you run hard after idols, you lose the, the love that could be yours. And our God is the only one who can satisfy. He is the only one worthy of our pursuits. Verse nine says this, but I, Jonah says, but I with a voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. And then he says these words and oh, look at them. Believer, when we sing these songs and we celebrate the greatness of God, this is what Jonah says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah finally realizes what you and I will have to realize, and that is that we are not in control of our destiny. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and this is both frightening and freeing. You see, Jonah is in the depths of a fish deep in the ocean, half drowned, stinky, and unaware of where he is, and yet God is still able to reach him. He is, uh, he is able to meet our every need, Regardless of the situation or circumstance or how bad we have messed things up, regardless of our debt, despair, depression, whatever it is, this is a picture. Jonah is a picture of, of Jesus. In fact, look at a couple things and we'll close. Jonah was sent to Nineveh. He was sent to Nineveh to save those that were lost sinful, and doomed for destruction. And Jesus was sent to us, to you and to me, to save us from sin and destruction. Jonah was cast into the sea because of his disobedience. And Jesus was cast into the sea of God's wrath because of my disobedience and your disobedience. Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. And Jesus spent three days and three nights in the belly of a grave, a physical grave. And when you hit rock bottom and you feel like your life is over and you're at the end of your rope, there is still a story to be told. From the belly of a fish or the back small ledge that is muddy in the back of the furthest cave, salvation belongs to the Lord. Honestly, this fish, is, is, this fish story is kind of a letdown. He's only mentioned three times, two directly. But the cool thing is this fish, this fish is what? This fish was obedient. 117, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and he did. 210 says that the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And what a great picture of obedience this morning. When in the belly of the whale, I want you to recognize the rescuer. Reach out to him. Pray to him. Seek his face. Rejoice in the rescue. For believers in the room, listen closely. We have a story to tell of a rescuer who heard our prayers. One day when we cried out to him, he heard our prayers. He saved us from the depths of our sin. Let's put our idols down. I don't know what those idols are for you, but let's put them down. And I have been engaged in those thinkings. What are my idols and how can I put them down? Let's put, pursue God with every fiber of our being. Let's seek the salvation of those who are beside us in our paths of influence, our neighbors, our coworkers. Let's simply tell of the great story that God has done when he rescued us from the deep. 
and for the unbeliever in the room this morning. If you walked in this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I want you to know and I want to proclaim to you as Jonah did that salvation belongs to the Lord. This morning I have bad news for you. For everybody who walked in without Christ, the bad news is we are all enamored with idols, all of us. We are all enamored with idols and we have put things above and before God and we have all sinned and been separated from God. And Isaiah 59 says this, your iniquities have separated you from your God. There is a separation, there is a chasm between us and God because of our sins. And the worst news is there's not anything we can do about it. We are face down, sinking like a rock. and We can't earn our way to heaven. Not by working harder, not by working smarter, or even by working less. In and of ourselves, we are doomed to a hopeless death and an even worse eternity. You see, the good news is that Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Jesus came and he died on a cross. He died a cruel death and he took our sins upon himself. And the Bible says that God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. God said, here is my beloved son who will take your sins upon himself. And those that believe that Jesus sacrificed, that he shed his blood for you will be miraculously saved. And the best news, the best news is that this eternal life, this forgiveness of our sins is a free gift. And all we have to do this morning is simply accept it. Romans 2.23 said, this is a free gift of God through Christ Jesus. Romans 10.9 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Would you pray with me all across the room? Bow your heads and close your eyes. This morning we sang in the very beginning, David saying, I surrender. We sang about the compassionate love of God. This morning, if you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm gonna ask that you would just simply say, God, take these idols, take these things from my life. They're distractions. And allow me not with puppy dog fervor, but let me run toward you knowing you are the creator of the universe. This morning, just a moment, Would you say these words, God, I know I'm a sinner. If you're an unbeliever this morning, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm sinking and I'm far from you, God. Forgive me, come into my life. Save me from my sins. Come in and rescue me from this life, this messed up life that I have. Forgive me of my sins and come in. Lord Jesus, you have heard the cry of these, your people. You have heard my cry this week as I have just simply felt inadequate to even deal with the great rescuer. But God, even this morning, I stand in all of a God who simply loved me enough to save me from my sins. And God, this morning, would you use me simply over the next couple weeks to put these idols in my own life down? Father, I pray that you would do this work even now in Jesus' name. Amen.